the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. Concluded last week with powerful words. It says, and you are witnesses of these things. All of you, Jesus told his disciples, now that he's risen from the dead, he says, you're witnesses, not just of the fact that he was, they had seen him alive, risen from the dead, but you are witnesses of those things which are prophesied by the scripture. He said, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You're witnesses of those things, the things that the scripture prophesied. So we have seen throughout our entire study of of Luke, the reason our faith is reliable is because of the scriptures, but we're not to keep those scriptures to ourselves. How do we take a faith that we're convinced is reliable to a world who disagrees, thinks it's not reliable, or who doesn't care? We need supernatural help to be those witnesses. And so before Luke concludes his gospel, he shows us where that help comes from. So Luke 24, I'm going to read 48, and then we're going to go to 49 through 53. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry you in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Jesus here, he tells them, you are my witnesses of these, you're witnesses of these things, but wait, wait to share it, wait to be those witnesses until you receive power from on high. So again, they are eyewitnesses of the fact that Jesus is alive. Again, that's not the point. We brought this out last week that the Greek word for witness is martis, which is where we get our word martyr from. Their proclamation of scripture paired with laying down their lives for what they believe, is how they will testify to the truth of those scriptures. Most, if not all of us, may never be called to experience the ultimate martyrdom for Jesus. Most, if not all of us, will probably never have to lay down our lives physically, die, you know, experience martyrdom as we know it for the gospel. But It's in our proclamation of scripture, of repentance and forgiveness, and our willingness to lay down our lives to live those principles out that will testify of the reality of our faith to others. I need to bring up a very important point. It's not that if we do that, people will automatically believe. You know, it's not like they're going to go, wow, he really believes what he believes, and he's willing to lay down his life for it. It must be real. That's not what I'm saying here. But the scriptures declare that the, the cloud, that the enemy who has blinded their eyes, and and keeps them from understanding truth, that cloud will be lifted when we share that treasure with others, and they'll be able to make a clear, unbiased decision. Look at 2 Corinthians 4 with me. The whole purpose of 2 Corinthians is Paul's making a defense of his ministry, and he's talking about 
this call he has on his life and, and what that call is. And so having done that, the first three chapters, he says, therefore, in light of this fact, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we don't, we don't faint. Even though it's hard, even there's challenges, even though our lives are threatened, we don't give up. How does he show that we don't give up? Not just by preaching it, but he explains in verse 2. But we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by a manifestation of the truth. What's the manifestation of the truth? Just that they taught the truth? Well, certainly that's a part of it. But it was their very lives that were having the impact. By a manifestation of the truth, that's how we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. He explains, through the preaching, if our gospel's hid, well, it's hid to them that are lost. Why? Because the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which do not believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So the idea is, he says, this is why we need to commend ourselves to people, not just by speaking the truth, but by living the truth. Because that's what's going to take away that cloud, take away that blindness, For he says, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves. What's the preaching that you you see from our lives? It's we, your servants, for Jesus' sake. And here it is, for God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts, not just our mouths, but our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He has shined that light in our hearts that there's something different that's emanating from the inside that will impact those on the outside. It has the ability to take away that darkness, to take away that blindness so that they can make an unbiased decision. It doesn't mean they'll automatically believe, but that those blinders that the enemy has put on them can be removed. And so he explains where these earthen vessels, but we have a treasure that God's put inside of us that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Jesus is saying this to the disciples, saying, you are witnesses, okay? We understand that that's not something that they or we can do in our own strength. How in the world am I going to go out into a world that's going to tempt me, antagonize me, reject me, and how am I going to live this out? How am I going to preach this? How am I going to shine that light? What is this treasure that God has placed inside of me? Jesus tells us, because he tells the disciples not to proclaim the message just yet, not until they receive it. Verse 49, and behold, the word behold means pay attention. This is important. Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry you in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Jesus tells them to wait until they receive power. Now, what they need the power for is to be witnesses. That's what this is is all about here, okay? Secondly, he promises the power, but it's it's not something that's a new promise. He says, I send the promise of my Father upon you. This is a promise that has been given to them already. Jesus taught them in great detail about the Holy Spirit just a few nights ago. John 14 through 16 has the most detailed explanation of the teaching of the Holy Spirit that Jesus gave. And that occurred the night of the Passover, the night before he died. He's going to tell them a little bit more about the Holy Spirit a few times before he ascends to heaven. The key part, though, for them is to wait until it happens. He says, but tarry you, which literally means you must remain, you must stay in Jerusalem, in the city of Jerusalem, until you be endued with power from on high. Don't do anything else until you be endued with power from on high. What does that mean? Well, the word endued, it means to be clothed, to be dressed. Until you be clothed or dressed with 
power. The word there means the ability to perform what you set out to do. Now he's told them you need to set out to do something. You are my witnesses starting in Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. So that's what they're going to set out to do. But the power to accomplish that is something that they need to be clothed or dressed in. And that power that they're going to be clothed or dressed in comes from on high, comes from heaven. What in the world is that? Well, to understand that, we we need to go a little bit beyond Luke because Luke doesn't give us the details of that teaching. John does. Jesus, in the book of John, and then when we bring in Acts 1 and Luke 24 here, he taught the disciples that we have three relationships with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to confess to you this morning, this is not an exhaustive study on the Holy Spirit. If you want that, we have a seven teaching series on the Holy Spirit that I gave when I first got here. So I encourage you, if you want more about that, listen to that. The third member of the Trinity requires a little bit more than 35 minutes on a Sunday morning. I want to give you just kind of a quick rundown. So Jesus taught the disciples that we have three relationships with the Holy Spirit. And that first relationship is that he is with us. He is beside us, convicting and teaching us. Turn to John 16. Jesus, in this great teaching on the Passover night, he explains these relationships, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in these various ways with us. John 16, beginning in verse 7. Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Comforter, that's referring to the Holy Spirit, he will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe on me. For that's the thing that will keep us separated from God. All of our sin keeps us separated from God, but Jesus died on the cross for that sin. Now the Holy Spirit comes to go, God did everything possible for you to be reconciled to him. And he's going to convict us that we need to receive Christ to experience that. He convicts us of sin because they do not believe. So if we don't believe, we're lost. Secondly, he convicts of righteousness. Because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Jesus said, no man has ascended. No man knows the Father except the Son. He's the only one who can ascend into heaven and go, I deserve to be here. So none of us can go, well, how can you judge me, God? Everybody sins. Not Jesus. He kept God's righteous standard. He proved it could be done. Therefore, I have guilt. Therefore, I have culpability. And I need a savior. So he convicts the world of that, that Jesus is righteous. He's perfect. And therefore, I can't just say, well, everybody sins. And then verse 11 of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Satan already experienced God's judgment, and we will experience it too if we do not repent. Verse 12, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. You couldn't handle them now. Couldn't get it. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. So here we see those two roles of the Holy Spirit, that he's that companion, that one who comes alongside. He's beside us, convicting and teaching us. Now, he does this before and after we get saved. The disciples had already experienced this. John in, 14, uh, in John 14, verses 16 and 17, Jesus said that. Verse 16, John 14, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, one like me, that he may abide with you forever, because I'm not going to. And who is he? Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him, neither knows him. But you already know him. Why? For he dwells with you. That word there, para, means alongside, with you. They've already experienced the conviction and the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit, and they'll continue to do so through the rest of their lives. That's the first relationship we have with the Holy Spirit. 
Now, when we get saved, we respond to that conviction of the Holy Spirit. He comes inside of us to conform us to Jesus's image. In Romans chapter 8, it, it describes this a little bit. In fact, it's, it's very clear when it explains that if you don't have the Spirit of God, you're not saved. And this is why I always get annoyed by this concept of, are you a Spirit-filled Christian? And I'm like, well, if you're saved, you have to be. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You can't be saved and the Holy Spirit not live inside of you. In Romans chapter 8, verse 8, it says, So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Someone who's lost can't please God. But you're not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of Christ dwell in you. Now, if any man does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. He doesn't belong to Christ. And if Christ be in you, then guess what? The body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit who lives inside us, he is life because of our righteousness that we have in Christ. If the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, which he does, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwells in you. And so here we begin to learn what's the ministry of the Holy Spirit inside me. Why is it not just good enough that he comes alongside me and he teaches me and he convicts me? Because I don't have the power to change. The Holy Spirit, his job is he comes inside me and he begins the work of sanctification. Therefore, brethren, Romans 8, 12 says, we are debtors, not to our flesh, to live after the flesh, because if you live after the flesh, you're gonna die. Listen, if you're gonna live life, try to do this Christian life in your own strength, if you're gonna try to live life your own way and on your own terms, things are just gonna rot around you. They're just gonna die. You can't do it. But... If you through the Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, not in your own strength, but through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, those are the sons of God. Because you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. You're his, and you can never not be his, whereby you cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself, he bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And since we're his kids, since, if, since children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. 2 Corinthians three eighteen describes this process of the Holy Spirit changing us. It says in 2 Corinthians three eighteen, but we all with open face, Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are changed into that same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So here we see Jesus. And as we study the scriptures, as we learn about Christ, and we understand better who he is, the Spirit of God begins to change us, making us more like Christ. His work of sanctification, that process, that continues, starts the day we're saved, and it continues until we're in heaven. That's, our, that's what he's doing in you right now. If you're saved today, that's what he's doing through the teaching of his word right now. He's making you more like Christ. If we look at that experience in John chapter 20, verse 22, that's when the disciples have that experience. We looked at last week that, remember, they were doubting. They didn't believe. And what did Jesus do? He opened the scriptures to them. From Genesis all the way through to Malachi, he taught them about how they all spoke of him. He gave them every prophecy that spoke about him and opened their understanding. And the Bible says that then they believed. Now John 20 says what happened after they believed. John 20, verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. I'm implied to believe that when Jesus says, Receive the Holy Ghost, that you do. (laughs) That you do. It was at that moment by their faith 
that Jesus gave them the Holy Spirit inside of them. That happens the moment we get saved, the moment we give our lives to Christ, and it continues until we're in heaven, until we die or the Lord returns. We begin that process of sanctification. If they, by this point in time, are already born again, or you have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, then that means that there's another relationship we have with the Holy Spirit, this third one. The Holy Spirit, not only does he come alongside of us to convict us and teach us, not only does he live inside of us to conform us to the image of Christ, to sanctify us, but he comes upon us to empower us for service. He externally, not internally, but externally, clothes us with his power. He endues us, dresses us with his power, immersing us in himself so that we operate in his strength instead of our own when we serve the Lord. And this is something we ask for after we get saved. It can happen when you get saved, but it's something you do by faith. You ask him to do it. It's not something that just automatically happens. This happened for the disciples on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Verses 1 and 2 says, When the day of Pentecost was fully come, this is what they were waiting for, that they were with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. If I were to take this room and I were to fill it with any substance, packing popcorn, if I were to take it, we would be clothed, immersed, dressed in packing popcorn, wouldn't you say? This is frequently why you may hear people say that this third experience is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because the word baptism means to be immersed. I really don't care what technical term you give it. I don't care if you call it the filling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, power of the Holy Spirit. I don't really, you name it, whatever you want. Just make sure you get it. Just make sure you ask the Lord for it. Because we cannot presume, even though the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and he's changing us into Christ's image, that we can just waltz out in our own strength and do everything Jesus has told them to do just there. We will fail. We will not be effective. We will not have the boldness necessary and we will not have the giftings necessary to go out and do this work. They say, well, they had to wait for it, so what do we have to do to get it? It's really simple. You just ask. It would be no different than any of these other experiences we have with the Holy Spirit. You know, if if he's convicting you and teaching you, what do you ask? What do you do to to receive more of that? You say, well, Lord, open my eyes, teach me, show me more by your spirit. And he will. You know, if you say, Lord, there's an area of my life that, man, I'm just, I'm not living for you. I'm not walking with you. I'm not experiencing change. What do you do? Say, Lord, will you fill me more with the Holy Spirit and take control of this area of my life? Change me. And he will. And it's the same thing with the empowering the Holy Spirit. All you have to do is ask. You know, if you're not a believer today, ask God's Spirit to show you the truth about yourself and about God's Word. He will. If you want Him to come inside you more, to have more control of your life, then repent and place your hope in Christ and ask Him to change you. If you want Him to empower you, then ask Jesus to immerse you in His Spirit. You don't earn any of these things. They're not there for the spiritual or spiritual, you know, grades or levels. They're free gifts received by faith. You might say, well, how do I wait like the disciples did? We don't. We never see believers wait after Pentecost. They just pray and ask, and God does it. Later on, we see the same disciples who, when they were arrested, they came back and they prayed, God, we need boldness. We need the power of your spirit to go out and to preach of your son, Jesus. And the Bible says God did it. They waited once because now the Holy Spirit's given. We don't need to wait anymore. If you didn't know this, Calvary Chapel's roots are the Pentecostal movement. 
The reason we don't usually associate with that is because there's all too many errors in the Pentecostal movement that we don't believe. But those are our roots. But you'll notice we don't have any tarrying or waiting meetings on the Holy Spirit at Calvary Chapel because you don't need to anymore. You just ask. The point then and now is not to go out and do God's work in our own strength. Is that well given here? Do we understand that? Between verses 49 and 50, there are 40 days back here in Luke chapter 24. 40 days go by. And there's lots of times where Jesus pops in and out because the disciples aren't waiting. They don't stay in Jerusalem. They go to Galilee. They do all sorts of things they shouldn't be doing, and Jesus has to get them back on track. And you know, I love that because it just shows me that God still wants to use me, and he's still patient with me, even when I have my own trips back to Galilee when I'm supposed to be doing something else. Luke does not cover that time. He goes right to the ascension in verse 50. And Jesus led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands, and he blessed them. Bethany was a village on the east side of the Mount of Olives. I love it here. The word blessing means to confer divine benefits on someone. And isn't it cool that the last thing Jesus did with them was to confer divine benefits upon them? Of all the things Jesus could have done, that's what he wanted to leave them with. Do you realize this morning how much God wants to bless you? He loves you so much. He wants to bless you. He wants to work in your life. He wants to impart divine favor to you. But it came to pass that as he's blessing them, so that is the last thing as he's going up, as he's blessing them, he was parted from them and carried into heaven. He departed, he moved on. As he said he would, he would be returning to his father, seated at the right hand of the father, interceding for us until his enemies be made his footstool. And so it says he moved on, he was carried up into heaven. He was being born upward into heaven. I don't know what carried him. The Bible says in other gospels that the clouds in the clouds, I don't know if the clouds carried him. I don't know if angels carried him. Certainly Jesus doesn't need anybody to carry him. But it says something did bear him up. The scripture doesn't say so, so it's not important to know. What is important though is their reaction. Verse 52, and they worshiped him. They worshiped him. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. But the Father said that he'll share his glory with no one. So the fact that Jesus is being worshipped here shows he's God, right? He has to be God. He has to be God. Which means there has to be more than one person in the Godhead. Has to be. And so when you put it all together, you get God the Son, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You say, well, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. One plus one plus one equals three. I thought we believe in one God. We do believe in one God. Because one times one times one equals one. I don't fully get the math. It's okay if you don't. But I know it's possible. I'm going to roll with it because the Bible says so. And I'm going to trust that God knows way better than I do about how he works. So they worship. They bow before him. And then when he's gone, they return to Jerusalem like he commanded with great joy, great happiness. Now, when the last time he left, were they, or they thought he was gone, were they happy? They thought everything was over, right? We thought this was the one who was going to be the Messiah. We thought we were going to be the generation that saw all the prophecies fulfilled and all God's promises come true. But now, now it's different. Why? Because they know the scriptures. They understand the scriptures this time. And so it's okay that Jesus is going away because they know that the rest of the scriptures will be fulfilled too. And so where they're there, even though Jesus isn't there, where they're there in Jerusalem, it says they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. The word there continually, it's actually two words, and it means through it all. Whatever came their way, they were speaking of the excellence 
of God and they were speaking favorably of God. And why wouldn't they? In the 40 days between verses 49 and 50, they lose their way again, but Jesus restores them. Even still, the love of God wins. Even still, the mercy of God triumphs. Even still, God's promises are seen to be true. Jesus had meant so much to them before the cross, but the grace, the mercy, and the truth he showed them afterwards made him everything to them now. I love here how the Bible, uh, the Gospel of Luke, it doesn't end there where it says they were praising and blessing God, but then Luke adds his own personal testimony to their love for Jesus at the end by saying, amen. What does amen mean? It means it's true. It means so be it. It's true. I don't have any disagreements with that. That's what it means. And when you say amen, you go, I'm all in on that, Pastor Will. You're good today. I got you. That's true. I agree. And it's what's so cool here because Luke... He he writes this gospel to Theophilus trying to show him that it's all true, right? I mean, that's the whole point, that our faith is a reliable faith. And so at the very end, he closes out and he says, it's true. It's true, Theophilus, not just for them, but for me too. And it should be for you as well. It's almost like Luke says, I've told you Jesus' story, Theophilus. I've done interviews, I've cited my sources, but in the end, it's the scriptures themselves that make your faith reliable. It's why I believe, and it's why you need to believe. And so if you read the scriptures, you will see that everything you've been told about Jesus is true, not just my gospel, but everything. Theophilus, you can't keep those reliable scriptures to yourself. I share this last part here because you need to receive the power of the Holy Spirit so you can share those reliable scriptures with others as well. If we don't take that reliable faith and we don't receive that power from on high and so we can share it with others, then Luke's, we've missed the point. We're not adding our amen to the end of the, of the gospel of Luke. Amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.